You are listening to a podcast from Providence Reformed Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to more of our sermons, please visit our website at providencewi.org. So if you have that Bible with you still, John chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. A little context while you're on your way to John chapter 19. The Lord Jesus has just undergone an all-night-long capital crime trial that was against the rules of those who were trying him, but uh, they saw their opportunity through Judas that evening before, and they brought him in, realizing now that they have condemned him that there is nothing they can do to kill him legally, particularly when their, their tool for the arrest was a cohort of Roman soldiers. They realized this couldn't be done in secret, and they also wanted him to die the most gruesome death possible. They hated him. And so they brought him in the morning at sunrise before Pontius Pilate, and we begin at chapter 19 in John's Gospel, verse 1. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him, And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Let's pray together. So, our Father, we so much need to hear what you say. Keep us from, from the things in, in our minds that distract us. Turn our attention to uh, this central event in uh, uh, all of history that's about to happen on the pages of Scripture. Remind us that this is real. Remind us that our sins are real and they've separated us from you and remind us of what Jesus did to rescue us. So stir us to new motivations this week, to hearts that love you above all else. In your son's name, amen. Please be seated. So I have no clever story to start with other than I I will go to an inspired story that uh, inspired, meaning it's in the Bible. a, a, not a parable, uh, an account of something that really happened not too long before the events that we're studying today. In John chapter 10, and you can go there if you want, we're at, at the end of the chapter. This is the Good Shepherd Psalm. This is where the Lord Jesus, in speaking, uh, made the statement, I and the Father are one. And it was becoming clearer and clearer to the religious authorities that they needed to get rid of him. It was Caiaphas, the high priest, who said, hey, one guy's got to die for the people. He didn't mean that theologically. He was saying, if we don't get rid of him, we're going to have mob riots on our hands. The Romans are going to come and take away our place in our nation. We're going to be in trouble. And this is around that time when they're realizing this man has to die. Now, 
from a theological standpoint, those of you who know your Bible, you can go back uh, a long ways to Genesis or maybe something a lot clearer to us in Isaiah to understand he did have to die. This is the only way the Father could re- redeem his people. And people say, well, God can do whatever he wants. Can he just, couldn't he have just saved us without the cross? It would have run against his holy character. Sin had to be paid for, and there's only one who could do that. In John chapter 10, the people accused Jesus of blasphemy, which of course is their primary charge before Pilate. But I'll begin reading at verse 27 in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you stoning me? And so we, we jump ahead in time to this day where the Lord Jesus has been brought before Pontius Pilate, and I, I, I brought this slide up last week just so you can understand the temple is on the left side of the screen that you're looking at if you're here in the room with me right now. And the fortress Antonia, which dwarfed the temple complex, which was a beautiful thing in itself, but the Pilate's Praetorium was a part of this fortress. It was where you could keep a lot of Roman soldiers in, in their barracks. This is where the Lord Jesus is as these things are happening. And so King Jesus says, I, I did many good works. For which of these are you stoning me? Stoning me? And you say, that, that was kind of a sarcastic statement, wasn't it? Yeah, yes, it, it was. That's sarcasm's my love language. I don't know about you, but you can, you can be bitter and nasty in your sarcasm, but it can be very instructive. So here we are with the Lord Jesus having been sent over, Pilate's wanting to get rid of him, and, and John's account doesn't record this, but, but Luke records that when he found out that Jesus was a Galilean, it's like, well, let's get rid of him, and he sent him over to Herod. He was abused, and actually that text tells us where he got the robe, he went over to Herod, and Pilate and Herod became buddies that day. They were enemies before, but Herod sent him back to Pilate. John doesn't include those little details. But the soldiers mocked him. They beat him. They made a crown of thorns, and, and you just see this intense abuse here. And you could ask a similar question to what the Lord asked in chapter 10. I did many good works. For, for which of these are you beating me? For which of these are you mocking me and spitting on me? I mean, what, what brought him to this place? Was it healing the man who was possessed of a demon in, in Capernaum? Was it Peter's mother-in-law who had that fever? Was that the bad thing he did that brought him to this place where, where Jesus healed her and she was able to serve again? Was it the cleansing of lepers? Was it the feeding of, multi- of a multitude of people? Was it the curing of the man with... I bet that was it. Was it the healing of an official's son in Capernaum? The healing of a centurion's servant? The raising of a, of a woman's only son from the dead? 
How about, how about those demon-possessed men next to the Sea of Galilee? Maybe that was it. Maybe that's what brought them to the place where they said, see, that was the one. That's the one that we, we decided. The feeding of the multitudes, the raising of, of the little girl of Jairus, the healings at Gennesaret, the healing of a deaf-mute, the restoring of sight of Bartimaeus and his friend at Jericho, the healing of a demon-possessed crippled woman, the casting out of a, of a, a bunch more demons, the healing of the servant's ear the night before when Peter had cut it off. See, which one of these? And my point in doing this is not, all, oh, but we should feel sorry for Jesus. I, I am going to describe gruesome things in the coming weeks just because this text lays this out for us. But when you say, for, for which of these things are they crucifying Jesus? What was it he, that he did that brought them to this place? See, you understand how evil this is. It's so easy because a lot of us have grown up in church and we've heard the story time and time again. And, and we come to the table of the Lord time and time again. And we don't realize the immense contrast between Jesus and what's happening here. Nothing has happened by accident. The cross is not plan B. So we're not saying, well, what they should have done is they, they, Pilate should have turned Jesus loose. If he'd been a good guy, he would have turned Jesus loose and everything would have been okay and he could have continued his ministry. This was his ministry. But you and I need to understand that that ministry, going to the cross to pay for sins is not simply what the Romans did or what the Jewish leaders did. It's, it's the Lord Jesus bearing our sins on the cross. One immense irony I, I see in this, and we'll talk about scourging in just a moment, is that, that the Lord Jesus, it's been laid out for us right here in John's Gospel, is laid out for us in Genesis, laid out for us in the book of Colossians. When you look at the scripture, you understand the Lord Jesus is not created. He's God the Son. He's the creator. And that means he created nerve endings. He created eyes. He created the kind of tree that could grow those nasty thorns he created the, the kind of wood fibers that, that would stick together in such a way that you could hit somebody with them and be effective. So that rod, that fake scepter that was given to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the creator of leather. The leather that went into the thongs that scourged him. So when you look at chapter 19 of John's Gospel, that's where we are, and the first verse, I'll just... Take this statement. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. Whatever fate was going to befall Jesus, Pilate wanted to make sure he had a whipping. And by the way, there were different kinds of scourging, and some have suggested, based on comparing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, that there were actually a couple of whippings, that what happened is, and again in comparison, that that. Pilate had Jesus whipped, and this is the standard public beating that we even uh, had in our country. It would be similar to maybe a, a caning uh, in the Far East. And it hurt, and it would leave marks, but it was uh, going to teach you a lesson you'll not forget. 
And uh, this particular commentator, who is trustworthy, I'm not saying this is exactly the way it happened, but uh, the actual scourging we're describing today didn't happen until you were, a con- until you were condemned to be crucified. I'll describe that in a moment, but it's possible that he actually had to endure another whipping before Pilate decided to deliver him up to be crucified. And when the Jews weren't satisfied, then, then he did deliver him up and was flogged with this scourge. The Roman scourge was uh, often a, a three-stranded leather whip, and I've seen different pictures from, from historians, but uh, the, the one I have on the screen, if you're in the room with me, is uh, the most accurate, when I say accurate, the one we hear about the most when it comes to a scourging before a crucifixion. It had three straps on it, and there were possibly bones or pieces of lead that were tied into it. Uh, and when, when the scourging happened, it was called the death before the death in that day. Because, and I, I'm not... I, I want to be careful with my language, but you understand when we read the Bible and there are words like scourge, we have to find out what that means. It's like if you live in a place where there was never snow and you read the Bible's word about snow, you want to know what that is. So when we talk about words such as crucify and scourge, this is uh, well documented in history that many did not survive scourging I believe I mentioned last week that the Phoenicians were the ones who popularized uh, crucifixion, and I don't know for sure that it was invented, the Phoenicians in that region of the world, but the Romans perfected it. Have you ever known someone who, who not only would hurt you, but they knew how to hurt you to the maximum? They didn't just hurt you. They, they made sure that the pain stung as much as possible. Physically, that's what the scourging and the crucifixion were meant to do. This isn't just we're going to whip you. This is we're, we're going to strip you and tie your arms out tight. And that way the, uh, the chunks of lead and bone on the, the thong will do the best job. And so very often, at least in Jewish culture, there would be 13 stripes given. In other words, uh, 3 times 13 is 39. 40 was considered excessive. So when you see, when you see this 40 stripes save one, uh, that's the marks that were left. There were, there were times when organs were left exposed, as historians describe it. This was a horrid, horrid thing. This indicated, this sentencing to scourging meant Jesus was going to be crucified. The blood loss, as you can imagine, was was intense. The text says then that the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put a purple robe on him, and if you read Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 23, it clarifies that it was actually Herod's soldiers who put the robe on Jesus, not the soldiers at the praetorium. Pilate just wanted to be done with these guys. We saw that in their interactions last week, 
And so he turned Jesus over to Herod Antipas. He had jurisdiction over the people of Galilee. And, and I mentioned before, according to Luke, Herod and Pilate became friends that day and they had been enemies before. Wasn't that a good thing? There's so much, so much bitter irony in this story. It comes out with nearly every sentence, but the applications are, are that way as well. They began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews! And to give him slaps on the face. Pilate recognized, even though he was not ready to bow the knee to Jesus, in fact, Pilate was on the fence. He didn't really care. He didn't understand the one before whom he stood. He just wanted to get his job done and go on with his day. He knew that this was not someone who was a threat to Rome. And so as the soldiers are hearing uh, the accusations against Jesus, they are mocking him. Hail, King of the Jews. They slapped him in the face. Matthew and Mark's accounts report the spitting and the, 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 the scepter that they gave Jesus to mock him, and then they took it out of his hand and beat him with it. And then Pilate came out again. So the Lord Jesus is out under the, in the hands of the soldiers. Verse 4 says that Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. If we could pause and make an application here, because there are people who get this message outside of this building, and it's very possible that there are people who are within live range of my voice right now who are kind of on the fence like Pilate was. Pilate understood, I don't, I, don't, I don't have a problem with him. He's, you know, like the Doobie Brothers. Jesus is just all right. He's, he's fine. And it, it seems like if, if you're just reading this without knowing the Jesus of the Bible, you're saying, well, Pilate's the good guy. He was trying to let, he was doing his very best. But see, then we're missing something very important here. You can't be on the fence with Jesus. You can't say he's all right. He's fine. Yeah, he's not guilty. You can't do that and then allow the things to go on that are going on. See, the Lord Jesus is, is not calling Pilate, and, and when you see in the Bible that God calls all men everywhere to repent. When you are one of those who's being called to repent, you cannot be someone who's like, yeah, I, I'm it's not like I love Jesus. I'm just I'm not against him. I'm kind of, you know, kind of ambivalent when it comes to Jesus. That isn't an option that's been left open to you, friend. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, King, your King. Whether you accept it or not, as your savior or your judge, you're going to bow the knee to Jesus. These men, these soldiers, bowed the knee to Jesus in a mocking way. Pilate just washed his hands of the whole thing. You wonder where that comes from. It comes from here. Pilate just said, look, I, I, I just don't. I don't see that there's any, when he says, I find no guilt in him, I can't bring charges. I don't have enough evidence to bring charges against him. Not enough evidence to charge him with a, a crime against Roman law. So Jesus came out. So, so the out and the in. 
You have the out where the Jews were, where they brought Jesus originally. You had the in where Pilate was. And you had a third place where the soldiers were mocking Jesus and where he had been sent over to Herod and back in. But the out here in this verse is out in the courtyard where the Jews were willing to come, where they thought they wouldn't be defiled and be uh, refused the eating of the meal because they'd been in a Gentile house. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Now, if you've, if you've seen movies about the Lord Jesus, if you've seen, and they've, a lot of them have been made, this is a very common scene because it, it is heavy with drama. When you realize, and I, I listed for you just a handful of the good things the Lord Jesus had done during his earthly ministry, in addition to speaking the truth about his father and himself, in addition to speaking the truth about the people around, he did good things. And now he's being brought out having been beaten and mocked. There may have, uh, this might have been Pilate's pitiful attempt to bring some dark humor into his dislike for the Jews. Uh, the crown, the sarcastic words mocked the claims of Jesus to be the king, and it mocked the Jews for feeling threatened that this man could ever do anything to harm them. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Now he also said, Behold your king. But in this instance, he said, Look, it's just a man. Look at him. We've, we've humbled him completely. He's bleeding. Uh, at this point, perhaps he could hardly walk. He, he is, uh, there's not a lot of life left in him. Look at him, Pilate is saying. Really? You want us to go through with this? He's mocking Jesus. He's mocking the religious leaders. Verse 6 says, So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Back in chapter 18, by the way, we just covered this. Back in chapter 18 of verse 31, Pilate, I'll just say, talk the way people talk now, he threw some shade on the Jews. He's, he's, it's kind of a passive anger. He's calling attention to their subservience to Rome. Crucify him yourselves. He knew they couldn't do that. Take him and crucify him, guys. It was much to their chagrin that they were unable to execute criminals, particularly this. And so when we talk about crucifixion, I, I pointed out last week that Rome reserved crucifixion for the very worst, the worst of the worst, the people who were a threat to Rome or the people who were an intense threat to the people. Not simply thieves, but robbers. A thief is somebody who, who sneaks into your house and, and takes something and, and sneaks back out or sneaks into a store and takes something off the shelf. That's a thief. Those people were punished with, with whippings and things. A robber is somebody who, who comes and, and with threat of force or hurting you physically takes from you. Those were the kind of people who were crucified 
The people who, like the Sicarii, and good evidence that Judas Iscariot had been one of those, which is the name Iscariot, who would sneak through a crowd and, and stab Roman officials in the back. That's the kind of people who got this gruesome, gruesome execution. And I, I'm going to reserve description until we get to the text where this is actually happening. But Pilate says, take him yourselves and crucify him. For I find no guilt in him. And the religious leaders, the Jews, answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Law and order is a good thing, right? Law and order is a good thing even in a country that, where, where the privileges that we have are non-existent. Even a, a socialistic government is better than no government. There was law and order, and the Jews said, No, we, we've got a law. We have a law because he made himself out to be the son of God. And this has been the accusation against Jesus for quite some time. And this would be the, the text from the law of Moses that they used from Leviticus chapter 24. The one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. That was the execution method of choice in historic Israel under Moses. The alien as well as the native when he blasphemes the name shall be put to death. We could say, well, well, how did the Lord Jesus blaspheme the name? Well, there, then you have to make that charge stick. And of course, the Jews said, because he makes himself out to be the Son of God, meaning he's equal with God. He said, I and the Father are one. He, he said, my Father is working till now in John chapter 5, and, and I am working. In other words, this, this man is claiming that when the Father works, he works. He's, he's claiming to be God, the Son, and so we have to kill him. And Pilate says, go ahead. Do it. And they said, well, you know, we can't. We have a law. By that law, he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. This was blasphemy. Note the irony of these men and what they had done in the previous 12 hours, and for that matter, the previous three years, note the irony of these men calling Jesus a lawbreaker. So the big questions that come out when you go through a text like this and when you end a text like this is, well, what do we do with this? And I, I said early on, the point, my point anyway, as, as somebody who is, who is teaching the word of God, proclaiming the gospel of Christ, is not to say, if we can get people to pity Jesus and feel sorry for them, for him, and maybe shed some tears, we'll work. We'll work the emotional angle and get them to make some sort of a commitment. And please don't get that. Even though this is a horrible thing, and there's nothing wrong with shedding tears over seeing the irony of the one who went about doing good being killed so brutally, that's not the point. The point here is that the one who is not a lawbreaker, the one who is the only one who was never a lawbreaker, he lived a perfect life. He's the spotless lamb. The amazing part of this is that he is the one who has chosen to bear sins. I said there were some ironic truths hidden in the darkness of this event, and I, I, I said a moment ago, well, what do you do about it? 
then. And before I get to this challenge for believers to think differently, perhaps, about the crucifixion, the challenge to you, if you are not sure where you stand with Jesus, however many times you've been baptized, however many churches you've been a member of, however the the quantity of good praying and good Bible study that you've done, it comes down to this. You and I stand as the guilty ones. We are the Barabbas. We are the one who needs somebody to take our place because we can't endure that. And there is nothing you can do to turn away the wrath of God. Only one could do that. You need a good attorney. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Bow the knee to him. Here are the ironic truths and applications, believer hidden in the the darkness of this horrid event. You look at the conscience of Pilate. It's like, well, at least least he had a conscience. Isn't it true? Even even the worst enemies you have uh, have a conscience. It may be totally seared. Pilate, Pilate had a guilty conscience. In fact, one of the other Gospels records his wife said, you better let him go. I've, I've suffered much in a dream because of him. The coronation of King Jesus, putting that crown of thorns on him. How, ex- how much they exploited his frail humanity. I had a friend uh, who... Uh, got me into bodybuilding for a short time as a young teenager. And, and he said, yeah, we're going we're to have this Christian bodybuilding club. And he said, you know what? I, the way I picture Jesus, I mean, he's perfect, right? I think Jesus was, and this, this is going to date me, I think Jesus was ripped like Lou Ferrigno. And uh, so the, the original Hulk guy, that Jesus looked like a bodybuilder. And, and let me just encourage you, bodybuilding's fine. If you do bodybuilding, that's just a great thing. But that's not how to become like Jesus. <laughs> it's not about, about perfection. In fact, there's a, there's a frail physical weakness that the Lord Jesus had in his lifetime. And when he was brought out, people weren't afraid because of his physical presence. In fact, Isaiah had described that he had been beaten so badly that you can recognize him. He is like one from whom men hide their faces, Isaiah prophesied. So when you look at the irony of this whole thing, looking at the story as a whole, not just Pilate, but the Jews and Pilate and the the crowds that had gathered, Jew and Gentile alike, you understand this, the will of the majority is often not the will of God. Now I'm not talking about the decree of God. Uh, this, This event was decreed of the Lord. I'm talking about what pleases him. We often make decisions in churches and in in other ways nationally because we have the chance to vote here or it's just a group and and everybody in your family just there's that one person in the family everybody just loves to pick on the will of the majority does not necessarily honor god if you can get a group of people to agree with you on a matter and you can just sway the politics of whatever organization you're in and get the crowd chanting, crucify, crucify, you say, well, hey, hey, we voted. We voted. I mean, this was a democracy, wasn't it? Yes. In fact, it is one of the clearest pictures of pure democracy that you have in all of world history. The majority cried out, crucify. That's an irony here. The will of the majority does not necessarily please God. 
Here's another one that we ought to take with us, and that is an uneasy conscience by itself does not restrain evil. Pilate felt bad for what he did. It's like, boy, you know, I just feel really bad about this. But look what he did. Look at the mockery of the Lord Jesus. Look at, at what he allowed. He, he turned him over to the ultimate kind of torture. I, said, I, I promised you, I'm sure you're looking forward to this, more description of, of what crucifixion was because it, there's a lot of documentation about what went on, so I'll save that for later, other than to say there were people who would hang on a cross for the better part of a week without dying, and the death was, was not because of the nails. It was a horrible thing, and Pilate was willing to turn Jesus over I know that we often motivate people using guilt. Parents, I urge you to find other ways to motivate your children. Husbands and wives, find, find other ways to motivate your spouse. Pilate's guilty conscience did not restrain him from acting out what he was. That's another ironic truth, and there are applications for us about this as well. And finally, as you look at King Jesus, Pilate says, Behold the man, and he's standing before the crowds, and, and they are vicious, and they are crying out for his death in the worst possible way. Again, sarcastically, because of all the horrible things he had done. You understand being vulnerable is not the same as being weak. So we're seeing the Lord Jesus in this weakened position, and, and then you back up, and looking at this picture, looking at the time when Jesus is before Pilate, and by the way, he's going to go back into Pilate again. We'll see this in, in the coming verses in chapter 19. When you see the Lord Jesus at his arrest in the garden, you look at all of these times when it looks like King Jesus is in the hands of those people who are going to bring him down. And you say, who's on trial here? Who was really driving this bus? Who was really in control? You go back to chapter 13 as the Lord is about ready to wash the disciples' feet, including Judas, as he's about ready to serve the disciples, and they're going to have that last supper together. And John says, Jesus being aware that all things were fulfilled, he had come to do his Father's will, and the Lord Jesus is standing, not feeling peaceful, but knowing this is going exactly as planned. We miss that irony when it comes to applying it to our lives because we never would draw things out the way they often happen. You take the things this past week that made you growl or whatever you do when you are dissatisfied with the way people perform or the way things are going. I growl. And, and you, you look at that, whether it's the smashing your thumb with the hammer or the flat tire or just you walk out, it's like, oh, it is so stinking cold and I'm late and I, I have to scrape the windows. Those horrible first world problems we have. When, when, we're, when we're doing the groaning and the growling and the feeling sorry for ourselves, we're missing something. We're missing something that the God of the universe works through weakness. The ultimate example of that is forgiving sinners through the violent death of his son. The crown only comes after the cross. 
being vulnerable to others in your workplace or in your home where it is. It's not saying that, that we should try to be, be hurt by people, but it is saying there is, there is strength shown in the Lord Jesus here. Submitting to your Father's will is not the ultimate message that we're getting from the story of the cross, but it is a message, and it, it is a way that the followers of Jesus in little ways look like him. When people betray you, when people abuse you in one way or another, when you, it seems you are in the hands of wicked people, you turn back here and see Pilate saying, behold the man, and you realize it wasn't really Jesus on trial here. And there was a powerful work being done that only studying on into chapter 19 is going to show us there's victory. And when you get to chapter 20, hey, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that we have a high priest, our only priest. The only way, Father, we can approach you as believers is through your Son, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes through law-keeping, but the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. So we thank you for this picture of Christ dying for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. It's the way he has brought us to you. Make it worship when we think of the cross in communion, when we think of the, the horrible ironies that we studied today with the Lord Jesus, perfectly good, dying the violent death of a criminal. Wake us up to this truth and stir us. And, and as I challenge those early on in this message, those outside the faith, open their eyes, bring them to turn from their sins to the only hope for sinners. We come to you in Jesus' name, amen.